Alejo Molina was born in the village of Hermosillo in northwest Mexico. His father had been a young revolutionary with Pancho Villa, and Alejo loved to hear the stories of the hoped-for revolution, those rowdy, swashbuckling days on horseback, and how his father was with Pancho when they invaded the United States. It was only a raid across the border, but the old-timers talked of it like they were conquerors. But Pancho was assassinated, the revolution died, Mexican political and social chaos only intensified, the Great Depression struck, Alejo's father finally put away his rifle and took a job mining silver from the Hermosilla Hills. Alejo, when he came of age, followed in his father's footsteps. It was the 1940s. Alejo married a girl he had known his entire life since she was a child, Charita. They had a son, then another. They weren't strong boys. There was too much poverty, too much chemical runoff from the mines, and too few visits to doctors. Charita took care of them, though, and Alejo kept digging that silver until one day the silver ran out. When it did, the village found itself in dire straits. Alejo's little family, even more so. No jobs, no government, no subsistence program, no bailout from the mining corporation that had used up generations of young, strong Mexican men. No food, no future, just poisoned water. Alejo and Charita made a decision. They started walking. Their oldest son held Charita's hand and took every step with them. Their youngest son was carried on Alejo's back. 175 miles across the blistering Sonora Desert, they walked north to Nogales. Only recently had the United States posted armed guards in a fence along that border. The Eisenhower administration was deporting Mexicans by the literal millions. But under the cover of darkness, with a stolen pair of wire cutters, Alejo snipped the chain-link fence and he and Charita and their boys slipped across the border. Another two days they walked among the cactus and the mesquite until they made it to Green Valley, Arizona. There was work there, and the family settled in. But it wasn't long until Alejo was coughing. Coughing all day, coughing all night, coughing up blood sweating bullets. All those years working in the silver mine, playing in the mercury-laced streams where his father had worked and died, that desperate walk through the desert carrying a child on his back, the weight of carrying his family's survival on his shoulders had done his dirty work. He couldn't go to the hospital in Tucson. He was illegal. A half-trained nurse who serviced the migrant camps was all that he had. Alejo died within weeks of arriving in the land of the free and the home of the brave. He was hastily buried in a new cemetery with a nervous funeral mass spoken by a young priest. Sharita Molina was left in a foreign land with those two young boys all alone. But Sharita was no wilting flower. She was a rock. 
an ancient Pima Indian with the blood of conquistadors in her veins. She had crossed the desert as well. She too was capable of carrying the weight of her children's survival on her shoulders. Fierce, strong, unflinching, she dug out a life for her hijos in the Arizona sand. She made sure they got to school, made sure that they learned English, made sure that they were conscious of their citizenship status and to be careful when they left the immediate community for if they were caught and deported, they would be dumped somewhere on the other side of the border and she would never see them again. The boys obeyed. How could they not? Their mother was an absolute force, the only thing they had left in the world the only thing that connected them to their father, the only thing that connected them to the land of their birth. And as will happen when a family suffers greatly, these three were driven together, sharing a relationship as described in the Old Testament. They were a cord of three strands, and that is a bond not easily broken. When her oldest son graduated high school, his big brown eyes shining as he stood there on the stage with a diploma in his hand, Sharita thought her heart would burst. A couple of years later, when the baby boy likewise graduated, looking so much like his father, with that stubborn cowlick sticking off the top of his forehead, the joy was only doubled. The tears rolled down her cheeks. Her knees were weak with the emotion, grief because Alejo wasn't there to see it for himself, but the satisfaction of bringing her boys to adulthood, the aching in her soul was mediated by the joy of her children. Together, they had come so far. It was now the 1960s. Young American men were being sent to Vietnam. Young American women were finding their own liberation burning bras and demanding equality. President Kennedy had been assassinated. Martin Luther King was in the streets. And Arizona came every strange variant of Americana one could find. Draft dodgers, flower children, hippies, druggies, retirees, doomsday preppers, survivalists, retreatists, those escaping the city, those escaping California, those escaping Mexico those trying to gobble up the water and the mineral rights of the Sonoran Desert. And with this stream of people came a young woman, Olivia, a recent college graduate who had come south to teach school on the Tohono Reservation. Tall, blonde, striking, speaking both Spanish and English, she looked like someone who belonged in Hollywood more than a classroom. When she and Sharita's oldest son locked eyes one evening at an A&W drive-in, it was over. Love at first sight, this tall, beautiful American and this skinny, smart, funny Mexican kid from south of the border. They were married in four months. Olivia's parents came down from Flagstaff for the wedding. Little brother was the best man. Sharita cried like a baby. The cerveza flowed. Olivia taught school as her new husband became a field supervisor in the nearby orchards. Love found the baby boy next. He met Raina in Tucson at a Cleveland Indians game. The boy had fallen in love with American baseball, and the spring training tickets were easy to snag for the Cactus League, especially for the Cleveland Indians. He and his amigos would hitch a ride to the city, loiter about Corbett Field, buy some cheap seats, and spend a day in glory. Raina was from Cleveland. She, too, was a crazed baseball fan. She, too, a college graduate come to teach school, just like Olivia, but the similarities ended there. Raina was athletic. 
a shock of red hair and emerald green eyes, beautiful but not in that glamorous Hollywood way. She was deliberate, determined, but there was no four-month romance. The two dated for a year, and when they married, there was no formal ceremony. It was her, it was him, and the justice of the peace because her family did not approve of the marriage. And where was Sharita? In heaven, so it seemed. It was just a little casa in the valley, but one son and daughter-in-law lived close by. She saw them daily. The youngest son with Raina settled in Tucson, but they came for church and dinner every Sunday. She had work as a cook at the local taquiera. Her daughter-in-laws were always trying to fix her up with some rich American, but she was not interested. She worked, she doted on her family, and she dreamed. She dreamed of home. She dreamed of Alejo. She dreamed when she visited his grave every Monday of how happy he would be to see his sons happy. She dreamed of a house full of grandchildren, dark-haired and dark-eyed little boys with cowlicks little blonde and little red-headed Americanas gathered around her as she aged. But the babies never came. That poisoned water back home had done its dirty work with her sons as well, it seemed. And so the years passed, and Sharita dreamed. One Sunday, the family A five gathered, as always, around Sharita's dinner table. Her oldest son was quieter than usual, moving the food around his plate more than eating. ¿Estás bien? she asked. Are you okay? And Olivia began to cry, and she said quietly, It's time to tell your mother. And the news came, like it had 20 years ago. The coughing, the coughing the sweating, the blood. Olivia's health insurance made it possible for him to see a doctor, a real doctor in Tucson, but the awful words followed. Cancer, metastatic, inoperable. Three months later, Sharita's oldest son was lowered into the earth next to his father. He had outlived him by only a handful of years That nervous priest who had stood in the same spot decades earlier, now in middle age, returned. He had that same youthful look, but his nervousness had been replaced by the weary burden of officiating so many funerals for so many young men. Olivia's parents came for the service, and as the sun dropped off the horizon line, Olivia gathered her mother-in-law in her long alabaster arms, the two women heaving with grief, and she whispered, I'm going home with my parents now. There is nothing left here but sadness for me. Please forgive me. But there was nothing to forgive. Vaya con Dios, Sharita whispered when she could finally speak. Siempre te amare, hija. I will always love you, my daughter. Olivia turned and walked toward her parents. Already waiting in the car, she would be in Flagstaff by morning, and Sharita knew she would never see the woman her son loved ever again. She returned home, her only son and Raina with her, so as not to leave her alone for the night. 
They drank wine and told stories. They laughed. They cried. They held each other. They shook their fists at a silent heaven. They tossed and turned and found little sleep. The morning sun came and mercifully a new day arrived. Mama Sharita's son said while kissing her on top of her head, I'm going to a baseball game. Raina will stay with you today. Sharita smiled. It was always baseball in Tucson in the spring, and she knew he needed this time to himself, having buried his brother, Vaya con Dios, mijo, she said. No hitchhiking this time. He got behind the wheel of his slick 1967 Chevy Chevelle and pointed it north for that first pitch at noon. Raina spent the day cleaning and preparing dinner. Sharita spent the day crying. They waited to hear the signature exhaust of that Chevelle outside so they could eat dinner together. And they waited and they waited and they waited and the sound never came. Did the game go into extra innings? Was there a traffic crash on the highway? Had he stopped off to see friends or have a few beers? They waited and they waited. At four in the morning, A loud knock was at the door, so startling Sharita and Raina from their exhausted sleep that they leapt from the couch that they had been sharing and ran to the door, and standing there at the door was a deputy from the Pena County Sheriff's Office, his hat already in his hand. And with him, that priest, with the downcast eyes and a rosary in his hand. Is this the Molina residence? The officer asked more out of dread than duty. And Sharita and Raina knew the words to come would be more than they could bear. In the months that followed, Sharita made a decision. Just as she and Alejo had made years earlier, she would start walking. Raina, she said to her daughter-in-law, Mi voy a casa, I'm going home. And she wasn't talking about the little house in Green Valley. There is nothing left here but sadness for me. I came here to live, for my family to live, but this land has taken everything from me. And though I came here with little, I am leaving with even less. My pockets are as empty as the day I was born. My heart is broken. God has made my life bitter. He has caused me to suffer, and I cannot remain here in the land of my tragedy. Raina put her arm around her mother-in-law and said, I know. I've already quit my job. I sold everything I could. I've packed a bag. I've got two one-way tickets to Hermosillo. I'm going with you. And Sharita answered, No, Miha, this is your home. Return to your parents. Stay here. Remarry. Have the children my son could never give you while you are still young. Do what Olivia did, please. I could never hold it against you. If you go with me back to Mexico, you may never be able to come back. This cannot be. And Raina said to Sharita, don't ask me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be 
my God. And wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May God punish me if I allow anything but death to separate us. Is this the story of Reina and Sharita? Of course it is. But we know it as the story of Ruth and Naomi. It begins with more tragedy than even the hardiest soul can take, but it does not stay there. These two women, bound together by the marriage of a son, make a journey not just out of grief and heartache, but into hope, though they may not have known it at the time. And you may not know it either. But there is hope in your heart. You carry it with you. And in these next few Sundays to come, I pray that we can find it together.